0: Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Cool.
1: Hi, I'm Blair. Uh, This is the AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. A.A. is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety.
0: Thanks, Piliya. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. OK, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. All right, so welcome to the show, uh, Blair. So let's, let's um, get into it. And would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are?
1: Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Blair. Uh, I am 42. Um, I'm a New Zealand European person. Um, um, I'm and, alcoholic.
0: Oh, brilliant! And um, so let's talk a little bit more about you and your childhood. What was it like growing up? Uh,
1: it was pretty pretty hectic from my point of view. Um, I was a fast-paced child, um, so everything was always. I was always on the go. Um, and, uh, childhood was, I mean, I had everything I wanted, but I mean, my parents split up when I was 11. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had a single parent family from that point on, um, attended high school, those sort of things. I didn't finish high school, but yeah, childhood was pretty normal, Mm. but just, I was fast paced and there was obviously some family dynamics, which weren't beneficial for, for kids, you know? Absolutely. And siblings,
0: you've got siblings? Yeah, one sister.
1: Yeah. She's younger than me.
0: And, um, so... I guess, tell us about how, you know, what was it that brought you to your first drink or how did you first start drinking? Well,
1: first drink was just, I was just social socially that was what was happening uh, at the time through like sort of teenage years. Um, I was in a band at high school um, and so then there'd be like a couple of after parties from little shows we did. So there'd be like alcohol and stuff floating around. Um, so at that stage it was just like, yeah, we got 200 bucks from our show, let's, wow. let's buy some, some beers, you know, um, and then that would be, that would be it for the night.
0: And, so, and so there was no, you know, when you first had that, that first beer, what
1: did it do for you? Uh, I remember, I do remember very early on wanting more of it, uh, just cause I felt kind of good. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, uh, yeah, just. The basic thing was that I no matter where I went, I still felt weird and out there. Um, mm-hmm. and then for some reason when I drank it didn't feel like that. I just didn't really care what other people thought anymore.
0: Wow. I could be off yeah. in the corner
1: doing my own thing after a couple of beers and I just didn't care what people thought. I was like, I just this is fun. Yeah. I'm gonna chase this feeling. Yeah. You know?
0: And so. um and so throughout your teens and into your early adulthood, yeah. How did it progress?
1: It, and to like teens it did actually didn't like um I left high school and I was working uh, at a church, I was a Christian youth worker, so I literally didn't drink at all like right. in my twenty first i didn't didn't drink, so there were some scattered times around my um through high school with the band stuff, but then it literally stopped when I left high school um until I had the age of twenty two mm-hmm. um, is when it came back again, um so I just got out of a relationship and tried to return to church um and it just didn't feel right, right. Um, at the same time, I met a group of friends who were just into partying and going out. And so I jumped on that wagon, and it felt really good. Yeah. Um, and then I couldn't do the, both of them. I couldn't do the whole um, church thing and going out of a night thing at the same time. So I chose to go out of a night because it made me feel better instantly, you know. Yeah. God was a bit of work at that stage for me. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <so> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a whole lot of guilt about stuff, so it was easier just to forget everything and get loose than, you know, um, than, uh, at that stage, what my belief of God was, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, and um and so the drinking at that point was very social. Yeah. Um binge drinking though. Yeah, would you say... hardcore hard
1: binge drinking. Yeah. Like, and social, yes, but the it's like I actually managed to get into with a group of people who were training to be alcoholics. Like our drinking <laughs> literally was was from Wednesday through Sunday yeah. of a night. So it's my my initial start was um just basically dive off the ten meter board. Yep. Um, you know, straight into it. Um And I managed to keep up with it. You know, there was some symptoms of me going, man, I don't feel very good, but Mm. just pushing through um, with some uh, amazing amount of gusto.
0: And when you say I don't feel very good, is that mentally, physically or emotionally? Uh,
1: It was more so at that stage, it was more just physically just the hangovers because I I got off to a really late start drinking. Um, I had to work on it. At that stage, <laughs> one of my mates said to me, he said, I'm not killing my liver. I'm training it. So my mindset was about training. And the only way to train is to do something real hard. So yeah. I was training thoroughly.
0: And, um, and did you, you know, at any point think I am drinking differently or this is a problem or this is normal?
1: At, at that particular point, no, because everyone that I was associating with was doing the same, same. style of drinking. Um, so then it, it felt perfectly normal, you know, mm. it was the party bus, we're all doing it. Um, and it wasn't until a little bit later on where, um, everybody stopped doing it and I continued yeah. that that's when it became uh, problematic. You know, um, I realized that people had been settling down, uh, working their jobs and doing normal life and that would maybe be a weekend thing whereas I was still going full, full bore, right? you know, um, and progressively worse.
0: And me. um and so talk talk to me about impact that that had on the likes of jobs relationships.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, considering I started drinking quite late at twenty two, I lost my first job through drinking at twenty six. Mm. So it's four years in; it's not very long at all. Mm. Um, and that was a job I'd worked pretty hard to get hold of. So mm. that's a very you know that was I was making like eighty thousand dollars a year at that mm. stage, and to have that taken away. Um, but you know I. So that impacted that because I had staff, I had thirty staff, and I my coping mechanism was to smash some drinks, and also I was smoking a lot of cannabis at the time. Would be to smoke some cannabis and then drink some before go to work. You can't mm-hmm. manage staff and upkeep those things on mm-hmm. that level of, of abuse um, without some some chinks mm-hmm. in the armor. And when you're running quite a large Dollar Valley business, the bosses don't really tolerate kinks. So, wow. um, and I wasn't willing to talk about my issues too much. You know, I was still doing what i what I'd always done. Um, and so it was really hard for me to say, look, I've got a problem here because I still didn't really know that I had a problem. That was how I did stuff. I was about to say,
0: did you think you had a problem Uh and weren't willing to talk about it or just weren't willing to talk about it? I just
1: didn't really understand that I had a problem. I was like, this is how you drink, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because my initial get-go of drinking was that. It was full, full bore.
0: And did the drinking change from being the social drinking to being more isolating, solitary?
1: Yeah, um, it, it really, it really did. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, particularly because I mean, when I that initial drinking was living down the Gold Coast, so that was really wow. out there, like, yay. Um, whereas then, yeah, it would be after work drinking. Um, I've moved back from the Gold Coast. I've lost my my job. I'm at mum and dad's mum and mm-hmm. my stepdad's house, and so now. Um everyone's gone to bed and I'm drinking on the couch watching movies, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. that started very early, very on in that side of things. Yep. Um and, uh, yeah.
0: and consequences, um, you know, we talked about jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, what about in trouble with the law?
1: Law was always one of the things which I've been very grateful for, that I didn't actually have any um mm. law related problems. Um Finances, horrible. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of credit cards not paid. Um mm-hmm uh insolvency things along those lines so financially i just i didn't care about anything else apart from getting my bills didn't get paid you know um i had a lot of money i spent a lot of money and that was how i rolled Mm -hmm. you know um and then i'd have more money Mm -hmm. from not paying my debts (laughs) so yeah just yeah no no thought of consequence
0: absolutely and and running from those yeah and and so you know describe though your mental state or your emotional state did this start to decline
1: yeah yeah, there was there was a pretty hard decline in that. Um, I reached my first point of the something has to really change in th- 2013 mm-hmm. uh, when I went to my first detox um, over in Australia. So I did a seven day detox. And um,
0: what 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 was it that got you into the detox? Was it yourself? Did you reach out for help?
1: Uh, it was actually my, it was myself. I just I just I couldn't. I was starting to get that feeling of unmanageability. I can't do this. Like, mum doesn't really come and visit me anymore. My sister sees me every now and again. I'm sick of this cycle of. I, by that stage, I'd lost quite a few jobs, or I'd quit jobs to yep. to drink and stuff. So there'd been a pattern that I wasn't really enjoying, um, and I started to get the sense that I couldn't. I couldn't fix this, you know. So I reached out to. Because I don't think small, like I wasn't thinking, oh, I'll go to AA. I was like, I need to go to detox, you know, I've got to do the big medical thing.
0: Fix all you know? the problems. Yeah, and
1: I spent seven days there and then I was fixed, you know. Um, and that was my first introduction to AA, actually, to right. be honest. I did, a, I did a meeting a week for about the first two months I came out of that detox place because okay. they introduced us to the steps and to AA. And then I got sick of biking there on a Tuesday night. And um, then the next, then I found myself the next week. You know, just sneaking home from work and picking up a bottle of wine, mm. and it began all over again.
0: And um, talk to us though when you went through that detox and you had that introduction to AA, and yeah. you and you obviously kept going for a while. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was your first AA meeting like?
1: Oh, I didn't like it. To be <laughs> honest with you, there was a, there was a really gruff Australian bloke um, who just told some little whippersnapper how it was. Um, and <laughs> I, yeah, and that was hard for me because I still thought I knew the answers to everything. So mm. I didn't like the whole idea of someone knowing more than me or someone being, I don't like conflict, you know? Mm. So, uh, and I didn't realize what the program was actually about. So, mm. um, I was still very naive and still wanted, I think it's in our literature so I wanted a softer, easier way mm-hmm. than what was presented to me. So I kind of, I didn't, I felt it made me feel uncomfortable just because of my own ego. Right. Basically, I liked the idea of it a lot. You know, I liked the idea of refinding God because I'd had God in the past, mm-hmm. and there was a mention of God and the steps what they presented. presented. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked the idea of it. I just didn't like the initial presentation which I had. So
0: mm. yeah, and and um, and so you went to the same meeting, yeah, over and over for some time. Yeah, for
1: about it was about two months. So it was very very. I didn't give it that much time really, like eight meetings. Uh, and then I thought I knew better again, you know, sure. and I did it I better again.
0: And so what was it like going back out and how long did you stay back out for?
1: Uh, that was a long time. I left 2013, I got back on hard and then I actually ended up flying back to New Zealand in 2015 um, and attended a full bridge rehabilitation service here mm-hmm. in Christchurch. So two years I went after that initial um, thing and I, it got worse again. So that was my my sort of the first point was I need to go to rehab. Second point was oh crap, I need to go to rehab again. Yeah, you know. Um, and so I did the eight week program in um, in Christchurch here, which also put me back in with AA again. Mm-hmm. And I got st- I got into meetings more that time. I mm-hmm. did two meetings a week afterwards and was enjoying the fellowship more. Um, mm-hmm. but then uh, I got busy with study. I started mm-hmm. studying full time straight away in my sobriety. And I um, leant more into that than actually getting into meetings and stuff. And then after six months, I thought I knew it all again. And putting uh, putting
0: everything before yeah Yeah, I literally, yeah, I, I put
1: everything first before my recovery. And so therefore, my recovery fell apart. Yeah. Uh, and then so did everything else. <laughs> yeah. Again, very, very quickly. So yeah, so I had six months of sobriety up again from 2015 into 2016.
0: So I guess what would you describe as your rock bottom that brought you to uh, where you are today, which is sober?
1: Yeah, um, well, that, that, my third rehab stint, I woke up from a coma, from 18-day coma, wow. um, and I just had open-heart surgery. Oh, my god! My mum, who lives in Brisbane, was at my bedside. I couldn't walk, and they were teaching me how to eat again. Um, and I'd already sought help for alcoholism before I went into hospital, but I didn't know that was going to get that bad. So I literally woke up, and all the things I'd took and taken for granted about my physicality, yeah. what I could do, were gone. Um, and I had to rely on people to eat, to walk, to to survive basically. and that broke me at my very core because mm. I couldn't do it. This is where I got to. you know, I got to being basically a crippled 40 year old um, and so my ego was completely utterly smashed and that was my rock bottom, you know um, I had no hope, I mm. had no finances, I had um, nothing, you know, and I was broken. so um, I'd always had relatively good even though i was probably worse than i thought i always thought i had good physical health so i was like it doesn't matter i'm I'm bulletproof Mm. but that really proved to me that i wasn't bulletproof Mm. and i was like oh holy cow i'm i'm beyond messed up um this is this isn't cool you know um so i cared a lot about what people thought and all of a sudden i was scarred up and i was physically frail and i looked like crap so it felt really bad and that was like oh no yeah, oh no. <laughs>
0: and um, so, you know, rehabilitating yourself physically, yeah. um, what was the next step to get back into recovery?
1: Um, it was literally, um, like my, my past has been, obviously there's been rehabs there, so I was in the bridge again, and once again, uh, one of the good things about the bridge is they, they, uh, part of the treatment is to go to an AA program. So um, I would, the Mahu program was right next to the bridge, which yep. is the um, Sunday morning meeting. Um, and so I would go there on a Sunday morning, um, to start with, I could only get about 45 minutes in cause I just didn't have wow. the brain capacity to, or the physical health to stay longer than that. So I went to those meetings on a Sunday, um, and then, um, then it's just sort of just kept going realistically. So that's mm-hmm. sort of how that, but, uh, one thing that I heard, I, I was, I just, this time around, I just, I didn't know how to get myself well. And other people knew how to be well, Mm. and I didn't know what that was, and I wanted it. So um, that whole, it was kind of nice, my ego was smashed because it made me more Mm. um, open to hearing what they were Mm. actually saying and taking suggestions as opposed to thinking I knew that I was right. Um, So I've heard it spoken about the gift of desperation. Mm -hmm. I had that, like, by the end, I had lots of that, and um, luckily I was surrounded by people that knew how to be well, Mm. and they gave me some really good, suggestions about what would worked for them mm. you
0: know. and and so you know how important have some of those suggestions been to you around sponsorship
1: mm-hmm. yeah very important um I've had the my the sponsor I've got now i've had for uh since october two thousand and twenty so um, mm-hmm. we've, and we've worked through the steps together so it was suggested you know the meeting things were suggested to to keep coming back to meetings um to get a sponsor do service and work the steps, you know, um, and I have done all of those things in my sobriety. Um, I've worked the steps through and I've worked them on a daily basis. I attend uh, at least three meetings a week yep. and I talk to my sponsor on the phone once a week wow. you know, and I'm the literature person for the, one of the meetings we have. So. Wow. Um, and that's just what I do on a weekly basis to maintain my sobriety. Um, and when I don't do that, um, and I've done this, I've, I've got busy with work and when I haven't mm. done that, it takes about 10 days and I start to get full of fear and anxiety and full of self-centeredness. And I don't think about drinking anymore nowadays. I just find that I don't feel very good mm-hmm. when I'm not working the program that I've been presented with, you know, and that I've chosen. So, yeah.
0: And, and that's one of the things we say is, you know, what are the things you do to ensure your yeah. sobriety?
1: Yeah. It's just, I'm accountable. Um, you know, um, yeah, I'm accountable. I work the steps. I go to meetings. I uh, call my sponsor. Um, I'm really blessed that I have a job helping other people stay sober and peer support work. So I'm literally always talking to other alcoholics and other mm. addicts. So uh, the um, so sharing my story is a big, massive part of my recovery as well. Yeah. Um. And but yeah, just I found out what works for me, and I keep doing that to the best of my ability. Mm, you know. Mm, mm. Um. And that has been good to me so far. You know. Um,
0: and so, how would you describe your life today?
1: um it's i couldn't have predicted the way that it's turned around and i would have settled for less than what i've got now if that makes sense you know when i entered sobriety i was like well if i get i get a little bit of the serenity they're talking about if i get a little bit of the space i'll be a happy man you know um and so to write a goal a year ago about how where i wanted to work and what i wanted to do and then seeing how as a result of doing the program those things have come to fruition you know like i can look at it there's a fact there's like when i started working the program my life has literally changed and things have happened since those particular dates so Mm -hmm. um there's stuff in the literature about the promises you know um and i can literally see those things come to fruition in my life so yeah i'm really i mean the word aesthetic comes to mind um i'm filled with the joy i hadn't had for a long time i was very dark in my drinking Mm. um and i just feel like i've got more life Mm. you know um and I have a pace, um, and I'm able to laugh at stupid things again. You know, <laughs> I used to get real annoyed with with jokey joke makers when I first got into recovery. I was yeah. like, "Stop making jokes; they're not funny." You know, and now I find <laughs> myself laughing at stuff that I'm like, hey, "You're a, you're a ghost," you know. So I've got, almost got a little bit of my childlike mm. sense of humour and stuff back, which is um, just which is cool. A lightness, you know? yeah, a lightness yeah. that it just it just wasn't there in my drinking; it was so dark. Yeah. So it's like the pole opposite of that. You know, it's like that negative has been reversed.
0: And. Um, you know, we, we talk about an AA, and you've touched on this this briefly about AA being a spiritual program, not mm-hmm. necessarily a religious program.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what does that look like for you today?
1: Uh, just that um, I've identified for myself a higher power. Some of the ideas are based upon my old theology of, of, mm-hmm. of Christianity, but it's just something that I understand. Um, and just every day, I, I ask that higher power to help me. Um, be a better person, basically in a nutshell, be a better person through the day, not pick up a drink and be kind and considerate and Mm. not be me. Mm. A lot of my defects is I'm very selfish. I'm very full of arrogance and pride. I just ask for help to not be that person, Mm. you know. Um, And then if I get in situations where I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed, I ask for help that I don't can't give myself. And then at the end of the day, I go, hey, thanks, I'm sober. You know, I appreciate your help there. um, And I try and reflect on what I've done and how I can improve, you know, and that's, sort of what I do you know um Mm, mm. um, yeah
0: some of the little suggest suggested rituals and routines that are part of the program yeah
1: some of that stuff, you know so a lot of that stuff's in the steps you know like daily I I ask there's a a third step prayer and a seventh step prayer which I have my own interpretations of which Mm -hmm. is part of my work with my sponsor you know I've made Mm. those things personal Mm. and that's how I communicate with my my high powers with those things you know Mm. um and then Often like even my, I can sometimes think of my, my, my sponsor as a high power, you know, mm. he's someone who can listen to what I've got to say and think objectively mm. and not be caught up or subjected to the emotion that I'm feeling Yeah, and then give me some sage advice, which he's heard through other people in the program. So, you know, um, sometimes I, I get help from God with skin on as they say.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's amazing. And these are the gifts of the program. Yeah. What would you suggest for, you know, any listeners that think they may have a drinking problem mm. and what are some of the things they could ask themselves?
1: Um, like, just—I mean, the word happiness is like, am I really happy? Mm. I don't ever know what happiness means. So just like, is what I'm doing consistently—is it pleasing me? You know, is mm. this, is am I stuck in a rut? You know, um, do I want to be doing this exactly what I'm doing now in five years? Mm. You know, um, and you know, this—and then if if not, you know, reach out for help. Um, at mm. the make a phone call uh, to to have a chat with somebody. Make a phone call to the airline or. There's a lot of information on our website as well. Um, you know, um, sometimes you do need to go to a rehab if that's your particular thing, but there's small things you can do on a daily mm. basis which can actually ease a lot of the pain. Mm. You know, um, there's a lot of people in AA that understand a lot of different situations. So mm. it would just be, just being honest with yourself is the biggest thing. Mm. Honestly, you know, um, being honest, being open and being willing. Um, mm. If you're willing to look at yourself in that light, you know, um, mm. and ask yourself, you know, if, yeah, that's, I know, yeah, it's it's hard because when I know when I was drinking, I was full of arrogance and I was full of pride and I thought I knew all the answers. So asking those things are really hard. Mm. Just in that bit of reflection, if it's like, I don't think I can do this, keep doing this, then, yeah, reach out. Mm.
0: Wonderful. Well, Blair, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us.
1: Cool. Thanks for having me.
0: It's been brilliant. For our listeners, if if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, As Blair mentioned, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800-AA-WORKS. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. This brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, God. Grant, grant me the, the serenity, serenity to, to accept the things, things I cannot change, the courage, courage to change, change the things I can, and, and wisdom to know the, know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.